Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing, a show where CMOs, VPs of marketing, and all strong women leaders in B2B discuss their top tactics, strategies, and tips for building high-performing teams, leveraging trends, and ultimately rocking their marketing careers. Made by and for women, insightful for all. I'm your host and 15-year B2B marketer, Jane Sarah. Let's dive in. All right. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us today for another episode of Women in B2B Marketing. And today we have with us Lisa Vecchio, who's the Global Senior Director of Integrated Marketing at Aircall. And she's going to dive in today with us all about integrated marketing and the international side of things, because she's a world traveler and liver. And I'm excited to dive into that selfishly. But thank you for joining us, Lisa. No, thank you, Jane. I'm very excited to be here and what a welcome. So no pressure to live up to that uh, glowing uh, introduction, but thank you for having me. Lisa's living my dream life and marketing, (laughs) professional, personal world combined, (laughs) avid foodie and traveler just like myself. So definitely excited to tap into that a little bit. But before we dive into those two main topics, I'm curious, how did you find yourself getting into B2B marketing to begin with? I love this question and having listened to your podcast, I like that you kind of start every episode with this. It's probably twofold answer. One, I like to say that I'm a marketer by design, but not necessarily a B2B marketer by design. So I just, just to kind of take you on that journey, I think we all can appreciate the pressures of if you've gone to college, kind of like, okay, this is expensive. I've got to do this within X amount of time. And then I got to have like my whole life ahead of me. And so, you know, when I went to school, I, I definitely felt that pressure. And so not to age myself, but I walked down to that registrar's office, whatever it was. And I pulled all the catalogs down and I was like, Hey, science, like, no engineering, like, no. (laughs) And I I took a step back and I, I just was like, what do I like doing? Like, how can I live my life doing something I enjoy? And so I, I, I focused on kind of like three areas. One is when I was young, my parents used to be like, you should be a lawyer because you're always just kind of negotiating and pushing for your own agenda yes. to a degree. But looking at the courses for that, I was like, no, not, not, not for me. <laughs> Tort law and contracts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. It's a little bit more complex than, than just, yeah, being winning, winning the argument. Yeah. Then there was like the event side of things. I'm, I'm a super social person, right? So whether it's like event planning for someone's birthday or the next trip, I was like, oh, how do I, how do I make a living around that? And then the third is that I, I like storytelling and I, you know, I like talking to people. I always thought, oh, I'd love to be a writer, but like was a little intimidated of like, would I be a journalist? Right. So I took kind of all of those things and I found this like mass communications PR opportunity, you know, major. And I was like, let me try this. Like, this could be really cool. And that's kind of how I ended up in marketing. And Mm. I will say it's still quite true today that I'm a marketer by design. It's all the things I enjoy doing, but turned into, into a profession. On the B2B side, I'd say that I think it took me a while to swallow that like, actually, I love being a B2B marketer and I'm proud of it. And like, there's a whole universe there that I can really own in my profession. But just being honest, it not, I don't know about you, but you know, you don't realize that right away when you're younger, you're going, what's the, where are the cool brands? How do I work on the cool stuff? Yeah. You think Super Bowl ads on TV. (laughs) And like it, early in my career, you know, I was in product marketing, I was in field marketing, but those things weren't called that then. I just was like, is this real marketing? So more or less, all of my jobs have been in rooted in B2B and now I, I fully embrace it and I love it. So it was by default. And then now with, with a passion and a rigor to kind of continue that throughout the rest of my career. 
Yeah. And how did you fall into integrated marketing specifically? And what can you also just kind of explain what that means? For you, for me, yes, I can't yeah. say I'm a textbook <laughs> definition, but um, you know, for me, it's about you know being really conscious about telling a consistent story across all of your channels. So you think about the marketing mix, and you've got a narrative or a story or a campaign or a program that's really built from the top, and then you think about how you bring that to market in a consistent way. So you've got all your teams rowing towards a shared goal and a shared message. That message is being pushed down across email, PR, you know, paid social, your webinar programs, your event talk tracks, your C-suite messaging. You know, you've got these core themes that you can really, really integrate. And it makes your annual or quarterly planning a lot easier as well because you're not having yeah. this bottoms-up approach with teams kind of making stuff up, you're, you're actually centralizing all of that around these core go-to-market messages. So that's integrated marketing in my mind. It's, it's easier maybe explained than in practice when you're trying to pull together a large marketing yeah. organization. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, because integrated marketing at the, the surface level, it makes so much sense and things that you have to have alignment and break down the mm -hmm. silos, right? Between all of the teams. I saw this a lot when I was in the agency side, right? We had an integrated media team because basically their role was to be the glue between all of the yes, other the divisions and channels. But I haven't seen it as much internally in internal teams. So I love that that's becoming more of a priority. But why is it so important for this to exist? And why should this be at something with more internal teams for that alignment yeah. and consistency? Absolutely. And I, I would say that in smaller orgs, you know, earlier in my career, you know, leading, building uh, marketing teams and startups and scale-ups, it doesn't necessarily operate that way when you have a small marketing team. But I think yeah. in a large marketing org, it really is about efficiency, scale, and greater impact. As I mentioned, sort of the, that bottoms-up approach and getting even buy-in for budget from your C-suite is a lot easier mm. when you have a, a concentrated plan. So, you know, you asked how I kind of got into it and it was only in my last two roles that I've even seen this advert. I think it's, it's only yeah. as, you know, even the last couple of years that I'm seeing it. And it's funny because when I transitioned out of my last role and I was looking for this next role, I was getting pinged for head of regional marketing for EMEA um, or director of field marketing. And I'm going, great. But actually, if I really dug deep into like my passion, I'm going, I don't necessarily want to be the, not to be misinterpreted, but like that slave to that sales number in the same, in yeah. the same degree. And don't get me wrong, I'm fully accountable for revenue and pipeline, yeah. but in a different way on a day-to-day -day basis. And my career has seen me in, like I said, in product and field roles, in brand and PR roles, in campaign roles. And what I've actually realized is having that holistic helicopter view of how all the different marketing teams are working together, someone needs to play that role, right? And it's not yeah. the CMO because they're they're having different conversations, right? It's kind of at that next level down where you can work with all the different directors to make sure you're aligning your planning. And so I had a mentor say to me, they're like, take demand gen off your resume, you know, take regional marketing off your resume because where your passion is, is really about working with everyone. And it really yeah. is about the full funnel as well. And I think that's really important to emphasize. We're talking about building awareness, really generating interest, whether it's through thought leadership, through PR at the top of the funnel, all the way down to performance, you know, CRO, web optimization, paid optimization. So it's not just about the story in, in isolation, it's about the full mix.
Yeah, that's so interesting. I want to touch back on the taking it off your resume or demand <laughs> later on. We'll get to that. But sticking with integrated marketing, do you work really closely with marketing ops or revenue ops at all for the measurement side of things and to see yes, what's I love working? That question. Yeah. You have to. A big part of even my last two roles has been how do we build these dashboards and visibility to how everything's working together. You know, at a campaign level is what it's sort of looking like, but it can be really, really complex because we don't want to be looking at each touch in isolation either. We want to be grouping it under these themes to show impact all the way across. So marketing ops is, is instrumental because if you don't have the right tagging in place, the right hierarchy in place, the right kind of Salesforce setup in place, it's going to be really, really painful to show impact. I think the other thing is, you know, we talk about kind of like two speed marketing and brand and demand. And, and that's, that's really critical as well, because you've got your high intent hand raisers and your, you know, your demo requests and your trials and all that coming in, which is already after decisions been made. But I really think the integrated mix is everything that comes before that, how you're influenced creating and converting that demand mm-hmm. on both sides. So it's, it shouldn't really be seen as the thing over there. It really is the central marketing function as a whole. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I wonder when you first come into a position in integrated marketing, it doesn't have to be where you are now at Aircall, yeah. but in general, or for somebody maybe that's looking to get into this field, what's kind of the first thing you look at when you get all of the data and access to everything and everything that's going on? Like, what are you looking at to identify opportunities where you can kind of fix things and, and what are you fixing? It's a really interesting question. I think of it maybe as twofold because I, I, it goes a layer up, I think, into your messaging framework as well and your, your targeting. Yeah. So before we even get into channel execution and what's the right channel mix and how do we kind of balance that, it's how do we make sure we're going to market with the right message? How do we get more efficiency and scalability around that message? How can we look at, is there an industry trend or a theme or something we're going to really jump on this quarter that mm. will work almost, I don't want to say work for everyone, but then you can have that global to local scalability as well. So yeah. that's a little bit where, not necessarily where I'm starting in terms of looking under the hood, but just making sure that we have a clear quarterly themes plan set up that's yeah. going to set really clear expectations internally. This is what we're all rowing against and for. Now, how we build that is then when you're looking under the hood to go, well, what's kind of the split between the channel mix and how do we balance kind of campaign themes with evergreen themes? And uh, that gets a little bit more complex. Yeah. So interesting because the there are these campaigns that are one-off, right? And then there are these evergreen campaigns or messages. So it seems to come right back to that that core message at at the heart of it. It is the core message and making sure that campaigns aren't necessarily just one-offs, you know, they're not Mm. one and done. It's how do you get a whole quarter out of it? How do you, let's say an example that I like to use just from my past is everyone does their annual trends report, right? And it's a little bit like, okay, but at the end of the day, you can really split that up into a six month program where you break each trend out and that becomes your webinar schedule. That then becomes your thought leadership talk track. And that's kind of drip fed over a period of time. So again, everyone's centrally working on the same stuff, but yeah. it's broken out in a way that your audience or, or different segments can interact with it actually um, at different phases of the, of the funnel and, and the and the year. So yeah. doing more with less and getting longer legs out of content repurposing and getting really smart about channel distribution is I think at the core of that. 
as opposed to these kind of reactive point in time, lots of mini moments. I mean, micro campaigns are fun and wild cards are fun. You need to kind of interdisperse those as well. But we're in the middle of H2 planning, as a lot of people probably are. And uh, it's funny because, you know, we've set the calendar and then someone had a really, really creative idea. And it's like, yeah pre-integrated marketing, you would just go and execute that idea, maybe not even tell anyone and and do that in a bubble. And this is the part of internal education of that idea is brilliant. Let's see if we can build it into the program. And if we can't, it's a brilliant idea. Let's apply that creative thinking and that out of that box, it kind of, what's the wildest thing we can think of now to what we've already committed to as an organization, which is what we've identified is the most important message we need to take to market right now. So we still can have fun. We still can be creative. We still can think out of the box, but within application of the core messages, we need to all get behind for, for this, this time period. Yeah. Do you find like when these ideas strike, right? Do you find that you're able to, we talked about integrated marketing kind of being the glue, right? Between teams. Do you find that you're able to be kind of a vehicle to share ideas amongst the teams too? And, and maybe, make them even bigger than they started out as like, cause you're sharing insight. You have to, right. I, I think what's important for me is I don't want to take any of that channel specialization away from those teams who are going to know what the best format is, what the right yeah. hooks are that get people to scroll or click or yeah. engage regardless if we're talking social or email or paid or what have you, you know, they're always going to be the subject matter experts. So yeah. I think at a leadership level, we're aligning and agreeing because there's data, there's a trend, there's a market need for us to land on whatever it is we've landed on, then then there's the kind of kickoff stage, right? And the kickoff isn't that we're launching the thing. The, the, the very, very start of that process is, let me bring you into the fold. Let me help you feel a sense of ownership because there has yeah. to be. There has to be a level of accountability. Otherwise, uh, it doesn't work. So we yeah. need to bring in all the stakeholders, have the brainstorming, maybe one or two brainstorming sessions, really look at the, the crazy stuff. Okay, take budget out of the question, take technical limitations out of the question, but then be realistic in scope. And this is where I find that project managers or program managers are really, really useful. And it's, it goes back to kind of the original agency model, but now bringing that into larger B2B orgs and having that facilitation through really strong project management, interdependency, mapping, mm-hmm. using the, the right systems to make sure the workflows are really smooth. And I'm making this sound really, really easy. And I'll tell you, you know, it's not. Yeah. Uh, and it takes so a lot many of time. micro steps under each one, right? Yeah. The right people in the room and in the team. And it changes the way that you you think about um, how you reskill or reshape your team as well under this under this model. Yeah. But I love it because I just love when you see then your work in market and you know everyone again is singing the same song consistently and you can really feel the impact if you were a a prospect or a customer kind of having that exposure yeah it sounds like just like you said your career is marketing by design right and you very strategically planned out what what is a fit for you which is amazing and i will get back to that too (laughs) but it seems like very parallel to that uh, in as leading the integrated marketing, mm. you're doing the same, right? You're building out like you're being very strategic about what you're putting out there as a brand yeah. with all of these channels or through all of these channels. So 
What do you do when, like the past three years have just been crazy. I was going to say chaotic and crazy at the same time. You need a merge <laughs> of the two words, but. It's not done. We, like what is yeah. going on out there? <laughs> What's going to happen next year? Knock on wood. It's always something, but it. Like, how do you pivot when things are just so strange or there's something that just like the economy is just so different right now? And how do you maybe your your original planned message for the year doesn't really fit anymore? Like, what what do you do if, if something like that happens? I think it's, you know, the agile principles don't don't really go away with this. They, yeah. they, they, if anything, they're at the heart of it. I don't think it's realistic to really plan an annual plan anymore yeah. anyway. You know, we can yeah. be optimistic about it. We can earmark things, but yeah, we're reviewing quarterly. And, you know, even the, I'll give you an example. We've got two, two strong personas that are in our, in our wheelhouse now. And it was like, great for Q3, we'll do two targeted campaigns, really uber segmented, kind of come at it on both angles. And then when we kind of got together, we went, that's realistic. We don't have the full team that we have. We don't have the right same budget that we had. And actually yeah. from a capacity standpoint, how can we combine some of these ideas through the brainstorming session that we had? There was some amazing ideas and actually went, yeah. kill two birds with one stone, just be really smart on the executional end of it. So it's still segmented. That's so the right messages are landing where they need to, but we don't necessarily need a million big ideas. Maybe we bit off yes. more than we can chew. And I think that's a good yes. example of reacting to the times. And if anything, yep. the theme evolved from being more of a kind of pain point oriented kind of campaign to actually sustainability during these challenging times because yes. that's the topical moment right now and we need to support our customers in this moment so yeah I, I think that speaks really well to the question yeah for sure and retention and sustainability <laughs> seem to be how everyone had to pivot this year because that's what we're Everyone's seeing even pivoting. ourselves right it's yeah that's just the focus and where growth lies right now. Just sorry to touch on that point yeah. is we spoke a little bit about kind of the, the prospecting and that kind of the how these campaigns and programs are used across the funnel, but that also includes retention. And I don't want that piece to kind of be overlooked because it's also how we communicate with our existing customers. We've got brilliant insights. How do you arm your CSMs or, you know, your support teams as well with being yes. able to go back for that touch point and that also supports the retention side of things because we're adding value, right? We've got a reason yeah. to go back and share content and stories and best practice through other kind of playbooks or outputs, depending on what's built in. So just important that we, we, we yeah. connect the full circle and we don't just stop once we've kind of pushed something out to the, the new prospects. We, we've got to circle all the way back. That's really interesting. So the it's not just about pipeline generation, but it's the full life cycle marketing component. It so, should be in theory, yeah. but then balancing I, I from, I mean, every organization is different. And I think sometimes... Yeah. Uh, customer marketing can be on an island and yeah. we, it's about bringing them into the fold so that they're not. Yeah. And there's so many more insights you can gain. So that, the, this well, is inspiring driving me. It. Yeah. yeah. Like they should be bringing those ideas in the front during the brainstorming. We need them, right? Because they're, yeah. they're hearing it on from the, the front, front line. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So integrated marketing really is such a powerful term because it's integrating all the channels. <laughs> yes. But also all of the, the teams and the, the stages teams. of the customer life cycle. So interesting. Now I'd say I'm still trying to explain it to the C-suite. So yeah. that's the hard part of like, <laughs> why did we reorganize like this? And yeah. what is your team doing? But yeah, yeah we, I think words like the glue and the centralized planning and then the efficiency and impact are working as part of the education piece I'm, I'm working on. But 
Yeah. yeah. It's maximizing performance and visibility mm-hmm. and identifying winning pieces from each of these assets and sharing that amongst everybody to perform better. Yeah. Right. Scalability. When you're talking to the C-suite and, you know, end of year planning for the new year, how do you show value for integrated marketing and the need for this? Are there certain metrics that you watch or the story that you can share? Timely question as I'm preparing my presentation yeah. <laughs> for Tuesday, actually. Yeah. There's a few things I'm, I'm focusing on. And, you know, my team that I manage at the moment, it's not the full marketing organization. So it's about half. So we're kind of split between revenue marketing, which is more of your kind of field regional teams, even the performance team is there and, and customer. And on my side, it's more of the channel. So the content, the campaigns, the uh, design team, and the web team. So mm-hmm. what I'm looking at is from a messaging standpoint, how we're improving conversions. So CRO, so uh, I'm still accountable for that. And it's a lot of A-B testing and a lot of that stuff yeah. is coming from the integrated framework. Then really looking at organic performance as well and, and how we're repositioning ourselves as we are kind of evolving as a business and things like uh, share uh, of direct traffic and uh, not direct, just direct and organic. And then also on the campaign performance side of things, we talked about these dashboards and how really yes. we want to be showing how all the channels are flowing together. And so it's everything from driving awareness and traffic, share a voice, then kind of midway through, we're looking at kind of engagement through webinar registrations and downloads. And yeah. then we're tracking that all the way through MQL and then acceleration through the email programs and nurtures as well. So it's truly full funnel. Okay. Talking to the C-suite, they don't care about all of those layers, but yeah. I'm kind of, what I want to show and visualize is how all those layers ladder up to each other across the whole journey because otherwise we're not just integrated if i'm showing the top line number or the share of voice number it's it's the full funnel is is what's most for me important in terms of showing impact so you're showing kind of influence from one channel to the next and how that pushes maybe prospects through the funnel or customers through to the next stage or and balancing the long-term not long-term but kind of the longer play demand gen creation side of things and not just the performance closed one for me that's something i'm super passionate about is is getting that balance right between brand and demand and performance and making sure that the team is doing everything to optimize and going back to uh challenging times and reduced budget and all that it is back to the basics how are we making sure there's no extra friction unnecessary friction looking at messaging all of that but that can't be it because we're not going to then attract our future customers, you know, the whole LinkedIn 95.5 rule. It's that methodology that I, I'm using as an education factor of why we run programs, integrated programs at the same time that we optimize the, the kind of capture and, and pipeline acceleration yeah. um, aspects of things too. What do you see? I know right now everybody's struggling and it's a big testing. Like I feel like it's split from who I've spoken to actually. And 50% of marketers seem to be just sticking to tried and true right now and Mm. cutting testing. And the other 50% are all testing. Like it's all hands on and like testing new, new pipeline drivers or channels. What do you see working right now in this crazy time where people are kind of split between the two options? I'd say, I don't know if it's by choice or just by bandwidth we're not necessarily testing these wild card new like let's throw money at let's start the podcast today you know we we just we can't start the podcast today however where we are testing 
is on that CRO stuff. So on the website, yes. on the forms, on the pricing page, on the messaging, looking at you know competitor studies on where we can see some incremental change, leveraging social proof and trust. And so that's where we're testing that as opposed to should we enter a new channel or completely yeah. jump on a bandwagon or start spending time in a community that we just don't have bandwidth to do. So it's mm-hmm. more, I think, at the bottom of the funnel, tweak, 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 tweak till we yeah. kind of improve the conversion rate there. Makes sense. Testing within the channels that you know are working yeah. and just making them work X percent better. Yeah. yeah. So cool. I want to go back a little bit to something you touched on earlier where you said when back to marketing by design, right? Your career. And you said you were working, I think with a coach who said to remove demands from your resume and focus on what you love to do. How do you, it sounds like you're very intentional about what you want in your career and your next step and what, you know, your path, I guess, how have you found the value in that? And how did you get to being that way? And what advice do you have for listeners to become more strategic Mm -hmm. and thoughtful about their own career path? That's a really interesting question. I think everyone throughout your career, you're going to have a job. You're going to work for a company maybe you don't like or have a job that you don't get fulfillment out of or have a bad boss who makes your life hard. And so I think it's about learning from all of those experiences. I was made redundant at my last job. I had time to think about my this next job when that piece of yeah. advice around, you know, take this off and put on what you want. And I'm, I'm quite tactical about it. Like I've, I've got a spreadsheet and t- you know, take this advice, you know, if with grain of salt, I guess, but it was about being really specific. I had my kind of ideal good, like kind of sure. And then the hard no. And, and on the mm. spreadsheet is three columns. And even within that, it was like, okay, titles, industries, leadership, both exposure and management experience, um, of course, salary, location, hybrid, but kind of yeah. every little aspect of things that influence your decision. But then I also focused on my skill sets, right? And they say kind of um, lean into your strengths and outsource your weaknesses. And yeah, it's something you continue to, if you with self-awareness, pay attention to as you evolve in your career of, do you know what I'm getting promoted or I'm getting praise for these aspects of my skill set. These are the things I'm getting feedback that I need to improve upon. These are the things I enjoy. Like when you come home and you go, I had a great day. Why did I have a great day? You know, is it because I completed a project? My campaign went live. I had a great conversation with a colleague. I learned something new. So it was a kind of taking those things. And I got really, really clear at what are my three non-negotiables? And for me, it was about leadership and, and not just managing a team, but I'm super passionate about the leadership and the development of others and, and how I can help them grow in their careers. And so building a team from scratch wasn't really for me. And what I wanted right now, it was about evolving individuals and, and, and building that. Uh, the global yeah. aspect has been super important and a critical part of my career and what I'm super yes. passionate about. And the third one was in the end, but it took a while to get here, was the integrated marketing. I don't just want one discipline. It's actually bringing all the disciplines together. That really brings me joy. So, but I can say that, you know, 18 years in marketing last year, kind of having that conversation with myself was the first time I was able to get really, really clear on that. 
Yeah. I've heard this come up a couple of times recently where people are suggesting or recommending doing a career mapping, which it sounds like mm-hmm. you kind of did this exercise with a sheet and identifying what makes you happy. What are you really good at? What get, have you gotten accolades for before? What your skill sets are and really taking the time to think through that yeah. versus just, I feel like the cold resume that you kind of build over time and don't look back on, but reflecting on all of those skills. And I love the point of when you have a really good day, taking a second to think about it and reflect back and why was this such a good day? This is probably why everyone touts journaling, right? I still need to get into that. I was that. just I thinking that. that as you were saying it, I was like, I've got this journal that still has the plastic over it that I haven't started, yeah. that I committed every day I would do it. And I'm still one day gonna, gonna try maybe this year's New Year's July resolution. 1st. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was lucky this year as well, which might've been when the light bulb finally turned on because we talked about this before, but I was I was accepted into this leadership program called the Marketing Academy. And it runs in the US, it runs in the UK and Australia. Every year, uh, they select 30 emerging leaders in marketing. And it's about self-discovery, excuse me, Uh, discovery and self-awareness. And so I'm paired with these, you know, directors, VPs from some of the biggest brands in the world. And that's kind of when you have that imposter syndrome, like, am I really in the right place? And then you realize everyone's a human. (laughs) And everyone's going, what's my next step? How do I become a better person? How do I become a better leader? And I was lucky to have access to coaching and uh, mentorship from some of the top CMOs in the world really as part of this self-discovery. And I think it's thanks to that. I'm probably more clear than I've ever been, but I highly recommend anyone kind of going through that, that leadership journey, your kind of director to VP level to have a look at the marketing Academy program, because it's very, very life-changing in terms of getting true to who you are as a human and a leader. So Yes, I love that. I, I started looking into this program myself after you and I first met. I'm going to yeah. link to it in show notes for everybody because it's Please such do. an amazing elite program. So congrats on making it in and making it through. It sounds life-changing. Thank you. I think what's most life-changing, not just that self-discovery, was the people that I met as, as a yes. grown-up. It's very rare that you proactively go out to like find new friends. And then I've now made these lifelong friends who are marketers at the top of their game. And so if you want to go have a beer with someone or, you know, breakfast, we can always talk about shared experiences, even if they're in advertising or B2C or a completely different world. Like we still speak the same language, which yeah. I don't have any other friends I do that with. So, (laughs) so hard. Yeah. I mean, finding a friend at all as an adult is so much more difficult, but especially those in marketing. I don't know if this is just subjective and just myself thinking, but I feel like there's a lot of like women in marketing. There's a lot of you feel like competitive or combative, like a little Mm. bit sometimes. So I'm hoping a little bit through this show to break that that down and enable more friendships and relationships to come about. But that's that's amazing. It's like you created your your personal board of directors, right? Through this I, well, they say that, right? Surround yourself with that. Your kind of uh, Avengers squad, if you will, yes. the people you need in life. And I love what you said, though, about kind of breaking down this like comp- like unnecessary competitiveness. So yeah, we are all here to ideally do great marketing, help our businesses grow and achieve those goals, and then be a guiding light to the people that we lead. And we should be embracing each other in that and sharing. There's no end to the climb, so take yeah. time to be kind and share and help each other out agreed and i'd love to dive into too before we run out of time 
the global side of things. So not only are you all a guru for all things integrated marketing, but also on the international side, if you could tell us a little bit about your, your journey, literal, (laughs) physical, geographical journey and how that has impacted like your marketing and targeting who you're targeting, how, and also the personal side of things would be fun. Sure. This, this is a lot. We don't have enough time for all now. I'm just kidding. For all of it. But, you know, I'd say that I've always been, I'd like, I guess, self-classified as culturally curious. And when I was young, I was like, you know what, when I go to college, I'm going to study abroad because I think I can learn more from the outside world than I can on a campus. And I, I really yeah. just felt different while my friends were joining sororities and fraternities and very kind of insular within that life. I was just going like, Ooh, what's it like in Europe? What if I went to Australia? So yeah. I made that a priority as part of my kind of graduation path. And then after I graduated from college, I did a program called Mountbatten program, which is a joint relationship between the U S and the UK where it's a postgraduate mm degree and work experience for a year. And I was working with Forrester Research in London, which was my true, Um, back to your original question, B2B job. And I just fell in love with the UK. I made so many amazing friends here and I got exposure to kind of, for the very first time, both sides of the fence of, okay, big office in Boston, I'm here in London. How do I kind of straddle these relationships? Yeah. When I moved back to New York, I worked in a publishing company called Wiley, for nine and a half years. And on a personal level, as fight being in your early twenties in New York with all of your friends and it's super fun. I was also like, Ooh, remember when I was in Europe and I was backpacking and doing this and I was just still very much drawn to travel. And so what that led to though, was me kind of putting my hand up to be the global lead, if you will, within the marketing department at at the kind of coordinator level, you know, still very entry level, but I'm like, I'll take the call with Australia. I'll take the call with London. I'll train them on the new, whatever we were working on. Amazing. And so it was proactive, but also for me, I was like, I want more than just my immediate world. I um, was also very unaware at that time that it was like, I'm USHQ. I'm pushing this out to you. Take what we give you. And it was only through being on the other side of the fence that I learned through time that Uh that's not how it works when it comes to like being global to local and vice versa. So that was kind of ignorance quite early in my career. Sure. What happened though, after my first trip to Oz was I was like, okay, I love this. If I can't get a visa and move back to Europe, I'm going to go there. And actually the business created a new role for me and they moved me to Australia. And it was probably the hardest thing I ever had to do because moving from New York to Brisbane is a completely different cultural experience altogether. But I also wasn't anticipating maybe some of the negativity internally from me coming from the big bad big brother in North America to a very um, small community who was performing really, really well. They were hitting their numbers. They don't need someone from the U.S. office to come tell them how to do marketing, right? And that was a a slap in the face and not in in a way that I wasn't expecting. I was like, of course you want me because I build all the stuff, right? Don't you want all the stuff I build? Yeah. So that was interesting. And the learning curve there was about really starting to lean in and understand the cultural sensitivities. Why, even though a program could work in both markets, how do you still make 
local people feel local without putting something on them that um, yeah. that doesn't feel right? Or how do you influence so it feels like their idea or, you know, you're adapting to what they, they need in their market? Yeah. I love my time there. Uh, fun fact, I became an Aussie citizen before I uh, left after five years. Amazing. And when I decided to start over after, you know, nine and a half years with one company, I was like, now it's time for me to come back to London. And I worked as a head of marketing for a small startup where I was managing then four or five different international markets from London. So it wasn't about managing, you know, US versus other region dynamics. It was from Europe, having small, small offices in North America, in Asia, in other parts of Europe. And we didn't necessarily have teams there. So it was getting close with sales and customer success to enable them kind of campaign in a box style to be equipped on the ground. A new form of integrated marketing, right? Yeah, yeah, it was a <laughs> Another dispersed layer. integrated marketing. But and then from there, it was just critical to any role that I had that I could continue to build these relationships with other markets, I truly take kind of that integrated approach from a efficiency standpoint. And I guess when you're managing then international teams and international people, and as I mentioned, then it became a critical part of my role from then on, it's about really getting that balance right of, okay, how can you scale? How can you kill as many birds with one stone as possible? But then Mm -hmm. how can you also truly not overlook the local and cultural, not just nuances in market? Like, is this relevant? Are they kind of at the same market maturity? Are there different messages that resonate? But also, how do I make people feel like they're different? And that's a a relationship need and an influence kind of uh, situation. I now also have localization in my team, which is another beast in its entirety because then things get even more complex between when do we localize because teams ask for it and it's a better user experience for for local markets versus if we test this, is it actually having an incremental impact like email, for example, you know, does every email need to necessarily be translated or every report need to be localized? So that's um, an interesting kind of ring to add to the ladder of, of kind of global to local yeah. stuff. And how do you identify, what have you learned on the localization side? Like what are there indicators that you can look out for that it's time to build out a local team or even just a one or two people to bring that layer of awareness to the team? I, you know, I think it's going to vary from every from business to business. And I think it depends on the demand in the market. Things like how big is the sales team? How are sales operating? Do they need people on the ground? How do you have a partner channel that actually requires local engagement as well? Because that can be quite demanding in terms of your mix. Is it, is it heavily events focused and in person versus are you just you running everything kind of essentially from a digital perspective. So I think there's lots of variables you need to take into account. The team I manage now, you know, based in London, I've got a lot of people in Europe, I've got people in the US. And I think when I'm filling backfills, it's also a question of the team dynamic. Do I need someone in the office? Do I need someone who is more local, who needs to have their ear to the ground because we uh, need to be more focused on one region or the other, and I need those insights coming coming at me directly. Or does it not matter? You know, we can work remote and everyone can still do a great job remotely. So there's yeah. too many variables, I think, from, from business to business. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And how I love that you've been really all over. So where did you start in the U.S.? And then it was 
the UK and then Aus- then back to the US and then Australia and then back to London where you are now, right? Yeah. To have the so I, I was born kind of New Jersey, Philly suburbs. Then I uh, came to London when I was 19 to study abroad. Then I went to Scotland to study abroad when I was nice. like 20. I, I moved to London when I'm between like 22 and 23 for the Mountbatten program and Forrester gig. I was in New York for four years, Australia for five I came back to London in 2015 and I've been here since. And fun fact, which you know, I just got married two weeks ago. My partner's British. I am here to say, and I now officially, I have the trifecta of passports, not the, mm. not the British one. I actually have the American, Australia and Italian one. And I don't think it's necessary for me to add any more unless the, the governments are going to start to ask questions. So yeah, <laughs> we'll see how that, how those all yeah. play out. That's amazing. Yeah. That I love just hearing the journey. And one thing I took from your story too, is that you advocated for yourself, right? And you raised your hand, you took on those opportunities when you were at a company that had a global stamp really, and had global footprints you took those calls with the international side of Mm. things. So starting to kind of get familiar with that and build experience and maybe build relationships. Was that a big factor in being able to get transferred or create a position for you in a new location? A hundred percent. And thank you for, for, you know, acknowledging that. And for me, it's part of, I think my, my own personal principles as well, because, you know, you don't ask, you don't get, and you, yes. you've got to also put, put the hard work in as well to get noticed. And I remember when I went out to Oz for the first time with a friend, I'm like, oh my God, I love it. I'm going to move here. And she's yeah. like, you know, you're the only person I know in my life who you say you're going to do it. And then you just go figure out how to yeah, you do it. <laughs> and it is about problem solving. Follow like, through. yeah, like aim your eye on the prize. You want to become a VP, figure out how to influence within your org. You want to go and start your own business or switch careers, like anything I believe is possible with kind of the right motivations and talk about vision boarding. I was just, I've got a vision board from last year and I was like, oh my gosh, do I throw this away now? Cause I've actually picked everything on my list, which wow. is just really, really cool. I've never done it before. And it was yeah. everything from personal to career stuff. I mean, I had Oprah up there right now. I think I'm Oprah on this podcast, right? I can yeah. take the box. Oh, love it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's silly things like that, right? You know, it doesn't yeah. have to be the biggest thing in the world, but just making incremental change to become a better person and live a fulfilling life. And in your career, you've got to put that work in as well right? No one deserves to be sitting at a desk, coming home every day, hating life, like figure it out. Yeah. But no one's going to do that, but you. Identify what makes you happy in every way, location, position, taking off demand from your resume (laughs) and having these guiding lights and then work your ass off towards those goals. And it doesn't mean there's not going to be bumps. It's not, you know, completely going straight up. You're going to have to have the squiggly bits in between, but I think the reward of personal growth is is worth it on the other end. So agreed. Well, this is perfect timing for my wrap up question that I like to ask. And that's what is one piece of advice? We just kind of dumped a ton, but what is one really cohesive piece of advice that you would give your younger self just starting out? I mean, it honestly feels like she had her shit together from the get go. So maybe you don't need to give her any advice. No, do you know what? I thought about that and I was like, okay, try everything. And I I really do believe I tried everything. I did all the internships. I was like, okay, how do I figure this out? Which probably led me to integrated, right? Because I got my hands across a lot. But I think it's to not put so much pressure on yourself to climb. And as I kind of had that internal light bulb moment last year about what I really think my strengths are and, and what I thrive in, it's also that 
I don't necessarily need to become the CMO and that's okay. You've Mm -hmm. got to get to a point where you're going, am I happy in my personal life? Am I enjoying what I'm doing every day? Am I earning enough to, to not have to sweat about it? Right. And you know what, that should be enough. Turn your computer off at the end of the day, go sit in the sun. Like, and for me, that's what I wish I, maybe I wouldn't be as successful if I didn't put all that pressure on myself before. And I still have X amount of years of living to do, you know, after this. So I haven't hit my peak, but I think it's not put as much pressure on throughout each of these kind of stepping stones. I love that. Do you think that your traveling has also helped you come to that realization? Because in, I feel like in the U.S., at least big cities in the U.S., right? It's this grind, grind, grind. Mm -hmm, But then mm -hmm. as you get exposed to, to other cultures and this better balance of life and yes, still working really hard to achieve your goals, but for living for your life and to have that. Do you think that your travels have impacted that? I think a hundred percent, you know, even my time, I know we're kind of short here, but when I was in Australia at one point, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to quit my job and go traveling. And my dad's like, no, you're not like, of course you're not. And I'm (laughs) like, but do you know what? I see tons of people do it. And if I, and like, but I can get another job. I know I can get another job. Yeah, I'm not unhirable. And after you there's this kind of, no longer do you work for the one company for 20 years. It's yes. okay to try new stuff. And yes. you don't like it, go get another one. You're, you're, yeah. you know, if you've got the right skill set and you're hireable, take time for yourself. Take six months off in between, not if you can afford to, but yeah. budget so that you can afford to when the time comes. You know, again, make these opportunities for yourself. And I do believe, going yes. back to your question, that it's only through exposure to other cultures and people and finding yes. happiness through those conversations that you can start to carve out that time for you. And open up your eyes to just new ways of of living. I love that. Thank you so much, Lisa. You've definitely opened my eyes to a few things I want to change on the integrated marketing side myself. (laughs) And then second, just giving me back my travel bug. I need to get back out there and meet more people and expand, broaden my horizons. It just helps you across the board. Well, when you're next in London and anyone listening, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. We can go have a coffee. I'd love to hear about your stories as well. And so thank you so much for listening to mine today. Love that. Thank you so much, Lisa. I'll put your your LinkedIn in show notes for sure and anything else you'd like for me to share. But thanks everyone for listening This has been so much fun. All right. Yeah, likewise. Thank you. And everyone who's listening, like, review, share with a friend. If, If you found anything helpful, write a review, comment. It all helps us get more exposure and more listeners to the show. So thank you. And thank you, Lisa. Thank you.